Episode uh, 28, I think, of the False <laughs> Neutral Podcast. I hope it's 28. Uh, with us today are regular hosts, Eric and Garrett and I. Howdy. Good afternoon, morning, evening, whenever you're listening. And uh, our guest this week is a very good friend of mine, uh Probably every episode, or at least every other episode, I start a sentence with, well, my my writing buddy, Rusty, or Rusty once said, or this guy I know. So uh, with us today is Rusty Spokes, obviously not his real name. And I know at some point I'm going to call him by his real name. So his first name is Jim, but he goes by Rusty online on ADV Rider and places like that. So uh, welcome, Rusty. Well, thank Welcome. you very much. If there is actually somebody in this world named Rusty Spokes, though, best name ever. <laughs> I, I actually gave him that name many years ago. He did. I like it. it was between that, Rusty Spokes or Dusty Rhodes. He had his choice. I like Rusty Spokes. Um, well, I've I've known you since 88 or 89, because I moved to St. Louis in 87. I worked for Donaldson Cycle for about six months. And then I went to work at the same dealership you and I were at. So it, amazingly, I have never actually met Eric or Garrett. We've only talked on the podcast. So I actually know you a whole lot better than <laughs> the other two guys that I host with every week. <laughs> Those were some cool times back then. Yes. Uh, you bought my KZ750. I bought your MB5. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, is that where that sweet MB5 came from? The black, I had two. I had a red one when I was in the RV and the black one that I've got the pictures of that I rode all over Idaho and all over Missouri with uh, was actually Jim's. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming you didn't get your sweet one-piece leather suit from him, though. You know... <laughs> Funny you mention that because I used to ride with Pete back when he wore that suit regularly. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a special time. It was. It was. It was last summer. <laughs> no, no. How you, you've been? You're out in the Continental Divide area, and you've been out there what twenty years, maybe? Um. Yeah. Well, twenty-five because um, in July. My wife and I celebrated 25 years in Colorado by taking an eight-day motorcycle trip around western Colorado, and we did like 1,800 miles and uh, just stayed at little hotels and stuff and had a good time. That sounds like a dream for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does, does your wife ride on your motorcycle? Does she ride her own? Uh, she, she rides on mine. She yeah. Way back before our daughter was born, she had a XL175 that I taught her how to ride. Yeah. And then somehow she got pregnant and she quit riding and she just decided that, no, I'll just ride on the back of your bike. So, yeah. My, my day job, we used to have uh, clients up in, um, well, for you up in, um, 
what's the name of the town where the Air Force Academy is? Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs. Yes, thank you. So, and I know it's it was in their general region of within seventy miles. So, um, yep. you know exactly where you are. I was just this morning listening to the Pace podcast, which. If you have one po- time to listen to one podcast, make it ours. But if you <laughs> listen to more than one, The Pace is actually a very good podcast, not terribly regular, not weekly the way we churn them out in our uber-professional Hooniverse <laughs> podcast network way. But uh, they uh, were interviewing one of the guys that did the first ride up the divide. They took two guys that had never ridden a motorcycle, put them on KLR 650s with like 15 miles of experience at a new rider's course, and they went up the Continental Divide Trail uh, for like, I think it was like 14 days, 17 days, something like that. It was it was very cool, all the way from New Mexico up to uh, the other side of Glacier National Park, I think, all off-road. Yeah. So, Yeah, that's one of my dreams. Oh yeah. Well, I absolutely. I Jim and I don't talk that much, but we text a lot, and I follow a lot of the stuff. And and for a while there, you were doing a lot of the not really hardcore off road stuff, but you know, uh, fire roads and and mining trails and stuff like that. And you your uh, smug mug feed was full of you off road. I haven't seen that as much. Have are you still as active doing that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, probably even more. I just, I've been lazy and haven't posted pictures, um, mostly, but I live about 20 miles from the foothills of the Rockies here. And so I can take off and 20 miles, be in the mountains, go pavement, dirt, gravel, whatever. And so it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. And it's the, uh, Africa twin that you ride, right? Is this the same? Okay. Yeah. So I remember a month or so ago, I, with my friends, rode up to the mountain and I took a picture at what I thought was pretty high elevation. We were at Timberline on Mount Hood and it's like 6,000 feet. And then almost immediately after, Pete sent me a picture of you on your Africa twin on a pass that was like 10,000 feet. With a mountain still behind you. <laughs> yeah. And my elevation felt very trumped by yours. <laughs> yeah. That looked um, beautiful there, though. It, it's nice. The only downfall is the, the summer up high is pretty short. But um, once you drop down a few thousand feet in elevation, I can, I can ride year-round. I just have to be kind of picky about where I go and not hit ice or snow yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You guys get a lot more sunshine than we do here in the Northwest. So I feel like in Colorado, if it's not sunny, it's snowing. (laughs) Rarely it's in between. Yeah, that's pretty true, actually. Yeah. That's that is the one thing I I haven't been out to Colorado in a while, um, but I've been out there enough that if I could live anywhere, that's like one of the top two or three places I'd want to live because. I don't mind the cold weather so much, but because it's dry, mostly because it's dry um, here in the Midwest, uh, when it's cold, it's damp and it just cuts through you instantaneously where I know there because I've been there in the winter. It's like it's five degrees or even 20 below. And it's like, 
eh, okay, I might have to zip my jacket up, you know, if it's windy <laughs> or something like that. So, and yeah, 300 plus days of sunshine makes all the difference in the world too, where right. pretty much November to March or even April is just gray and overcast in Michigan. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Growing up in St. Louis. Oh yeah. You I know thought, yeah. I thought that was normal. And then I moved out here and I was standing outside with a guy from Indiana or someplace. And we're like, it's like 45 degrees and it's sunny. It's a beautiful day in the middle of winter. And he's like, you know, if we were back home, we'd be freezing our butts off here. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, let's talk about the Africa Twin. Uh, uh, just recently on the uh, Cleveland Moto podcast, uh, they were reviewing, they had a CTX 700 with the automatic trans the dct transmission in it and they just ripped it to shred they their conclusion was nobody other than a rank beginner would ever want a dct transmission and you've been fairly impressed with yours in the africa twin so why don't you talk about why you why you went with the automatic and what you think of it okay um i watched when the the first dcts came out and i thought Probably kind of the same thing. Why would anybody want that? But then I kept reading stuff that said people really liked it and started thinking about it more. And I actually come from a heavy equipment background um, where we had large agricultural tractors that had 24-speed uh, power shift transmission. So they were kind of like a dual clutch, but they had seven clutches in them. And you could... Um, just bump through the gears um, without having to clutch or anything. And when you've got a huge implement in the ground, you do full power shifts and it just worked wonderfully. And so I kind of, the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, that could be pretty cool. So I've been trying to break out of my little motorcycling bubble and try some new stuff. And so I thought, well, it's only six or $700 premium. So that's what I ordered. And um, I wasn't even sure I was going to get what I ordered when it uh, when it finally arrived because there's the whole snafu with the earthquake and everything that happened. But so far, I've been really impressed with it. Um, it it does have its limitations because it can't see the road, so it doesn't know that in half a second you're going to shut the throttle off for a turn coming up. So it might upshift right before you close the throttle. And at first, that was really kind of unnerving to me and, and kind of annoying. But there's different sport modes you can put it in. There's drive, and then there's three sport modes. And then you can also set it to fully manual. And I found on, like, technical stuff, if, uh, if I'm kind of moving pretty good, I'll put it into manual so I can control when it shifts up and when it shifts down. And uh, it works really good for that drive is good for like my commute to work in the morning because it shifts nice and smooth and easy and um you just twist the throttle and go it almost feels like cheating it sometimes and i think on the c the ctx 700 with the cvt i i got the impression that the big gripes about that were more to do with it being severely underpowered and like not being able to select the appropriate gear and maybe the Africa twin doesn't really have that problem because it's got what 30 more horsepower. And Jim, what's the red line on the, on the Africa twin? 
it's like 8,000 RPM or something. It's not real high, but honestly, that bike is, it has such low end torque that you never need to really rev it that high. To me, all you're doing is just making a bunch of racket at that point. And so that, that's one, I mean, if you're a typical modern day internet, you know, you judge everything by the spreadsheet. Um, that's been one of the things I've seen in, about the Africa Twin is at least horsepower number wise, it's down compared to a lot of other things that are out there. But you're saying the way that it's the with with the torque curve and where the power band is, you don't really notice it that much. And even at, at even at a higher elevation where you are, it doesn't feel out of breath. No, no, to me it doesn't. Um, it's got plenty of power to to get you where you're going at, at way over the speed limit. And um, there's been a, a couple times at, at elevation where I was maybe going to want to do a high speed pass around two cars where it felt like uh, maybe I could use just a little bit more horsepower, but that's so rare that it doesn't really bother me, but the that's power what, is, is really that's, usable. That's what an Akrapovich pipe is for. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I know that uh, one of the things he said about the CTX was that drive upshifted. You know, you were never even getting to two grand. It just it was constantly getting you in the highest gear possible really quickly. Now the CTX is another engine that has everything down low. I think it's only got a six grand redline, so yeah. that's that's almost automotive style of you know, hey, if you're doing two grand, you're way up in the power band. So, uh, and if you did sport it brought it up some but it seemed like it was it was too eager to upshift in drive yeah it's and not so like cars have cafe issues where they they have to meet mileage requirements like most modern cars because that's very common in modern cars that it's like bang 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 just under two grand it's upshifting for maximum fuel economy motorcycles we don't have that so that is pretty unusual although the ctx really is uh one of the things that people always talk about is the mileage that those get. And so perhaps they have kind of engineered the shift pattern to achieve that high mileage. So, uh, on the Africa twin, would you, are you confident you made the right choice with the transmission that you have? Or do you ever sometimes feel like you would rather have the manual? Um, I'm totally happy with the DCT. Um, that being said, I'd like to ride one with the manual just, just to try it. But honestly, I think I would have been happy with either one. But the DCT is pretty cool because you could just open the throttle and just start thumbing the shifters and never have to back off the throttle. And how many, on, sorry, go ahead, ask how many miles per year do you ride? Not including like the week trip where you do 1800 miles, but do you commute a lot with it? I mean, do you ride every day? Um, most days I do. Yeah, uh, I got it uh, Father's Day weekend. I've got twenty two hundred miles on it. Yeah, and so uh, I guess if you commuted it a lot, then having that uh, transmission would probably be really good. I don't know if it was just something as like a, a casual rider, or if maybe I only rode it once a month. I'd probably lean towards a manual transmission, but I don't know. I would like to ride both of them. Well. I would just like to ride an Africa Twin, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I saw one last weekend, but I didn't get to do anything with it. But. Yeah. Um, so have you have you done much off-roading on it yet? Um, the most of that has been like uh, 
graded gravel roads to forest service roads, uh, nothing extreme. Um, we did go up one, uh, pass Cumberland pass that had a bunch of hard embedded rocks in the road surface and maybe baseball sized rocks here and there. And it just went up at like nothing. You didn't, you not, not missing being able to clutch clutch over anything or anything like that. No, uh, uh-uh. um, I haven't done anything really slow and technical where I think you would miss the clutch. Like if you wanted to pop the front end up over a rock ledge or something like that, I could see where it, uh, that would be an issue, but that's a big a bike to be doing that with anyways. It is, it is. It's physically big and it weighs, mine's like over 500 pounds. So, um, I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, this thing is, is big when I'm look down and I'm doing 65 or 70 down a gravel road. It's like, oh, okay, better slower down here. Well, that's about, this is, it's a, a replacement for a V-Strom 1000. So it's not like, you know, this is replacing an XR200. Right. Yeah. And actually it may replace my KLR too. Hmm. So. Yeah. It, well, especially a KLR is really not that much smaller and lighter. A little bit, but I feel like you could do anything on an Africa Twin that you could a KLR. Because, I mean, the Africa Twin is a little bit bigger, but it's the KLR just doesn't seem like it's more capable enough to make a big difference between the two. Um, my KLR, I weighed it one time. It's like 380 pounds. Yeah. So it's... You know, it's a hundred pounds plus lighter, and yeah. it's so cheap that I don't really care if it falls over. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little more cautious. So, so with your KLR, I've I've had some experience on a KLR, um, not just strictly on road, um, and I well, the one my my first issue was I could barely get my leg over it, um, and I'm five ten, but. Um, one thing I noticed was if you're going down the highway, anything about 80 miles an hour to, I guess, the top speed of that thing felt like about 85. It felt like the front end, like there was no steering field after 80 miles an hour on that thing on the highway. Is yours similar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get up going that fast, it starts wagging the handlebars. And, yeah. And if the wind's blowing the wrong way, you kind of wander all over the place. But, yeah, that's the nature of those things. Yeah, unfortunately, I was chasing everyone. Everyone I was chasing, um, this was a trip out to the Bay Area and, and, and for MotoGP back in 2008, 7, 8, 9, whatever. Um, so everyone else was on sport bikes, and I'm on a KLR trying to keep up. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, I, I think the answer is just don't do 80 miles an hour on a KLR. And if you're going to do 80 miles an hour, get a different bike. Yeah, yeah well, that was that was the one I could borrow for free. So oh, and that was kind of the point, though, about the Africa Twin and the KLR. If you're going to be riding on the road, you don't want to really be on a KLR. But if you're going to be riding off road, then you also don't really want a KLR. I mean, I could see something like a KTM 500 XC W or something like that, which is probably as good on road as a KLR, but 10 times the bike off road. And but, then, it's a, but it's a whole lot more money, and as Jim said, the whole point of this is it's cheap. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose. So yeah. how how is how is the uh, Africa Twin for on road when you're when you're just out on the highway touring? Is it as comfortable as your V Strom was? 
Um, it's pretty close. It like we've got a really nice paved twisty road not too far from here that goes up and down the pass and stuff. And the V strum's a little more planted. Um, when you're really kind of turning it up, but the the Africa Twin is more fun to ride because it, it is taller. So when you lean it over, you really lean it over. And it, so it's kind of like a carnival ride almost. And, uh, and so you, it's, to me, it's more entertaining. I don't know if it's just cause it's a, my brand new bike and I can pop through the gears with pushing little buttons and all that, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to ride. You've been a, a subject of a lot of Hooniverse articles, your five state ride, <laughs> the, Kansas Carnival Tour, the <laughs> you did you did the inaugural Smack Dab ride, mm-hmm. uh, so everybody should be fairly familiar with the fact that you do crank up a lot of miles on a regular basis. When you did the Smack Dab ride, you left and went to North Central Kansas the day before, and then when you left, what you went over to the Badlands or Sturgis or something on, on your way home. You, I mean, uh, you, you did the same long day we did, and we took like the next three days to get back to Kansas City, and you were home, I think, before we were. <laughs> yeah. I've had people I ride with kind of complain because they're like, why don't you stop and take pictures? Oh, okay. Well, we can stop, I guess. But last year I rode like 12,000 miles, and that included a couple trips. Um, but yeah, I ended up going to Sturgis after, um, the, um, Smackdown ride. big ride he did. Yeah. And then just to say I'd been there and, um, then I went over and, and rode down through the mountains through Colorado and then back home. So that was, I don't know, 2,500 miles for that whole trip, 3,000, something like that. In like yeah. f- four days and you had a thunderstorm or a ter- tornado watch or something in the middle of it. Oh yeah, I had to hide out underneath the overpass um, while it just dumped rain for about twenty minutes. Yeah, you must have a good seat. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Or just a calloused butt, because I mean, you had, <laughs> yeah, you had no a lot of different bikes. You had the uh, let's see, the Ural sidecar, uh, yeah. the V-Strom. What other bikes have you have you been? You had, a, well, you had a GPZ 550 at some point. Yeah, yeah. While I was sitting here uh, waiting, I started jotting down all the, the bikes that I've owned. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. On to uh, page two. <laughs> ones that I can remember, I'm up to 24 bikes in uh, – I've owned motorcycles continuously for 36 years, and I've had 24 bikes in that 36 years. So – uh, my first one was a KE 100 little rotary valve two stroke that was just worn out and gutless. And that kind of, I think I was hooked on motorcycles before I ever rode one as a kid. I'd see them going down the road and I just gawk, but, um, that junky little bike kind of hooked me for life. And then I've had dirt bikes, CR 125s and XRs and, uh, Street bikes. I had a miserable uh, KZ 440 LTD that was just the most awful thing to ride, but I had no idea it was so bad. <laughs> and then 
I bought your old 750, Pete. Yeah. And that kind of got me to the point where I was doing longer trips and longer rides. And uh, so from from there, it was just a bunch of different different bikes and riding different places. Do you have a, do you have a favorite? Um, right now I'd say the Africa twin for sure. But, um, there's bikes that I had that I miss. I don't know that I'd want them back, but I kind of miss them. Well, that's kind of like my BSA single. I, I tell people that I'm in love with the idea of owning it much more than I ever was with the bike when I owned it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Whenever I get rid of a bike, I always remember the things that I liked about it and never the bad things. So I'm always like, oh, I wouldn't mind having one of those again. But I know if I did, then it would be agony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to feel that way about my TX750. Oh, so ready to dump that in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, what's on your what's on your bucket list, either for bikes or riding experiences that you haven't done or haven't had? Um. I want to ride in all 50 states, um, preferably in one trip, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I'd like to check that off. I'd like to ride up to Alaska sometime and back. So in uh, one trip, how are you getting, are you renting a bike in, in, in Hawaii then, and then jumping on a plane into Alaska, and then riding down—is that I, how you're? I think forty-nine states like, would would count. <laughs> well, you could. I could start here and, and ride a bunch of them, and then park the bike and hop a plane to Hawaii and back, and then get back on it, and then ride up to Alaska and back. And that that might have to be a retirement thing. I don't know. They they do have the bike rentals in Hawaii. A friend yeah. of mine recently did that. A different friend. I do have. Do you have another, more than one? Yeah, more than one riding friend. Prove it. <laughs> you went for the V Strom. You got rid of the V Strom to get the Africa Twin. Is that correct? Um, no, I still have the V Strom, and a guy's supposed to come over tonight and look at it. It's for sale. Okay. I had a Ural before this, and for a couple of years, and I sold the Ural to buy the Africa Twin. Okay, so. V-Strom, so since those are two comparable bikes and people might cross-shop them, um, what, um, what's better about the V-Strom than the, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but V-Strom versus Africa Twin, what do you like about the Africa Twin more than the V-Strom? Or why buy one over the other? Um, the V-Strom is a little bit better road bike. It's got a 19-inch front wheel, so it, it handles a little bit better. Um, twisties and that sort of thing. The Africa Twin, with its 21-inch front wheel, is about 500 to 1,000 times better off pavement than the V-Strom is. The mm -hmm. V-Strom always felt kind of skatey on gravel, where the Africa Twin, even with its stock street tires on it, just eats up the gravel. It just flies down the gravel roads. Gotcha. Anything else we want to talk about, discuss, bring up? So well, I would like we'll to hear about Eric's motorcycle ride yeah so i've been going up into canada for well to race cars and motorcycles for what's scary to say over 25 years now um motorcycles since 2000 and um so anyways i i've gotten because i've announced motorsports most of my adult life um 
when I wasn't racing, I'd be asked to help out announcing with the motorcycles. And about, well, 2002, I started announcing with some stuff up at what's now known as Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, uh, also known used to be known as Motorsport up there. And over the last 10, 10 or 11 years, I've, every every summer I've gone up to announce for their National Superbike Series up there. And then sometimes one of the other races up there. But uh, I'm not at Motorsport, but for the Canadian Superbikes. And um, so, yeah, it's sort of an annual trip. And that was just this as we're recording this the, this past weekend. So um, Fridays, I'll announce in the tower. Then Saturdays, I do stuff in the pits and announce I, out at turn two there. And um, so you need transportation to get back and forth. And the person I usually borrow a bike from to do that wasn't there. So uh, I BMW has had for well, 10 years um, what they call their motor, BMW Motorrad Fest. And it's a big event. And they have all their bikes out there and do test rides and stuff like this. Well, someone dumped one of their step-through scooters. And so they had to take it out of the demo fleet. So I got to use one of those for the weekend to run around the track. Um, it was the uh, 650 GT. And while I would never buy one, and while I was shocked to kind of see what they cost, they were cool. It was cool, actually. <laughs> it actually was really cool. Um, it had an electric windscreen that actually had a pretty big... Uh, Range pretty of big adjustment. Range of adjustment, yeah. Um, it had heated grips. I don't think it had cruise control. I could be wrong. I mean, I literally would just get on, get off. One of the, it had a couple stupid things that were cool, which is um, if the kick. Wait, I'm trying to think. How did it go? If the kickstand was down, the brakes are automatically locked. Hmm. Um. Well, that's kind of cool because then you can actually park it on a hill. Well, I was, yeah, exactly. with with a with a belt CVT that would kind of make sense. Um, to start, you had to you actually had to hold the brakes for just to start it, even though so there's no clutch, but you have to hold the brake because uh, essentially once it's started, you are in gear, right? Yeah, um, and it had steps. It you know it's a CVT, but it had steps uh, in it. The acceleration wasn't bad. I mean, it was actually surprising. I, you know, it wasn't a slug. It wasn't fast by any means, but it wasn't a slug. And the other thing that was crazy about it was from zero to, say, about five miles an hour, it felt a little wide and a little... Eh, I'm making I'm making motions on video, but um, cumbersome, I guess, is a, is a good word. It just the weight didn't feel right. But after about five or ten miles an hour, that thing cornered unbelievably well i went into there's a, a road i took had to go to go up back to the tower and i'm like cooking along and i throw it in and i'm like holy shit i'm going way faster than i expected to <laughs> and it just i just kept leaning and leaning and i didn't scrape anything but i wasn't far from it and i'm like whoa yeah i was gonna um, say i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if you returned it with a bunch of rash down the side of it <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh the the trunk sorry i'm using air quotes here Underneath the seat was actually pretty big. I was able to put my, um, I hate to say full-size backpack, but it's a camera backpack. Um, or for those of our friends north of the border who listen to us, uh, and this is according to Chris Duff, the marketing manager for BMW Motorcycles Canada, and he used this as an official measurement. It's big enough to hold a 2-4. 
<laughs> which which is Canadian for it holds a case of beer and a can and a can of beer, you know. Yeah. Cans it holds a case. So. So um, what do those cost? In U.S. money, ten thousand seven hundred dollars. Yikes. That's wow. what I said. <laughs> uh, but I'm assuming it's got plenty enough power to ride on the freeway, right? Yeah, I like they, it'll do highway speed, no problem. Yeah, I think they'll do like 190 or 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I suppose it wouldn't be such a bad thing. They seem like they'd be really comfortable, but oh yeah, it was. It was. It was. It had really nice seat. Had uh, stepped, and it had actually had like a little lower lower. Uh, what is that? Your lumbar low lower lumbar support back there as a yeah. Setup. So does it have ABS? Mm-hmm. Really. Yes, it did. It had ABS. Maybe you're selling me on one of these. <laughs> I tell you, it'd be a whole lot better than my TX750 right now. Maxi scooters are real expensive, but when you look at a, a lot of them, even down the the Suzuki Bergman 200, fuel injection, ABS, you know, they're underneath the Tupperware. They've got some really high end technology in some of those maxi scooters that are pretty impressive. And then if you live in it. Sorry, Pete, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say. And then on the other hand, you know, the 50cc Chinese scooters are just the worst technology in motorcycling. So you kind of get the, the radical ends from the very cheapest crap to some really nice, sophisticated stuff kind of parallel to motorcycles. On uh, that BMW, I, is it awkward to put your feet down or on any maxi scooter, really? Because I've never no. ridden one. It was um, it was it was fairly easy. Even both feet, yeah, because they seem kind of wide. They like are in a seating area. They they are, and that's what I was going to say. I they're if you live in an urban and mostly urban environment, ride mostly in an urban environment, even if it's like light um, freeway for commuting, but mostly riding on surface streets mm-hmm. uh, or like rural highway kind of things, it'd be a great bike, and it would be great. Up until the point that you'd have to split lanes, because it may be just a little wide for lane splitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it was that was my only thing. It just felt a little wide, and then trying to turn at low speeds, you're like you you really needed to feel like you needed to dirt track it and stick your foot out just yeah. in case. Um, did, it, did it feel like you were riding a jet ski down the street? Because they like I they look so jet ski like from a cockpit point of view. And it just seems like it would feel like you're on a jet ski, especially with the riding position and all that. Having not been on a jet ski since I was about 19, I can't really say. <laughs> oh, this, this is Pete's domain. Well, well yeah. the thing is about scooters that I always found a little weird when I'd ride them is you don't have anything in between your legs. You're, you're, I always felt very, now it's been a long time since I've ridden a scooter, but uh, very perched on them. And I mm-hmm. think it's totally psychological because really... In reality, if anything happened on a bike or a motorcycle, there's nothing there to stop you from flying off either one. But I always felt, it always felt odd to me that you're kind of in that easy chair position with nothing in front of you. Like no tank to kind of hold on to. Yeah, you don't, you don't feel like you're, you're riding a horse. You feel like you got in a camp chair and somebody threw you at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So, um, but I, I felt that way when I wrote the, the 
KTM Duke 390, I felt like my chin was about an inch past the instruments. They're so short, and you sit so far forward on them. I had that same scooterish feeling there of, wow, I'm like way over the front wheel. And it was a little unnerving for me. I kind of like to have a little bit more bike in front of me, which yeah, is not I... an issue on the Spider. I have two bikes worth in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim, you, ro- you rode my Spider about a quarter of a mile or, I don't know, maybe maybe two miles, and it didn't sit with you very well. You did not like it. No, no, the... I felt like I was like sitting on on top of it, and I think I was fighting it, but it was it felt really twitchy, like going down the the highway, and like any little movement, I felt like it was just darting off to one side or the other. And then uh, when we turned off that road, I felt it do all kinds of weird stuff. And you said that it was like the stability control kicking in. Because I, I turned it and I'm and like, we were on what gra- is this? Yeah, we turned off onto gravel and yeah. and it lost traction and probably freaked out a little bit on you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's got a mind of its own. Oh, yeah, it, it took me about a thousand miles to lose that feeling of having to drive it down the road and steer it the whole time. Because it really, it tracks straight and you kind of, it does, it's just like a four-wheeler in that it's got a little perceptible dead spot right on center. That when you're used to a motorcycle, it almost feels like it's about to go into a tank slapper all the time. It's got that little bit of a wiggle to it. And until you finally learn to relax and kind of like let it have its head and only give it steering inputs when you want to change direction, it's, it, it is a really weird sensation the first time you ride one. So. I, I do want I do want to try and see if the if, if one of the Can Am places around here does have like a demo day. I would I would like to try a spider just to see. So, well, in the news, the V twin spiders are no more. They just had their 2017 lineup announcement, and they're all the three cylinders. They've got the F three Cruiser and the RT Touring and the original. Body style is gone, and the V-twin engines are gone. I think part of it is because it was not Euro 4 compliant, so it didn't make any sense for Rotax to still keep them in production, especially mm-hmm. because the the RS, the sports model, has not been selling well, and they have, I think, two different model years. The... The 16s and the 15s are sitting in warehouses unsold, so it didn't make any sense to keep the RS and the ST V-twins in, in production. So, um, to the, uh, sorry, one of the other things with BMW, too, there is, um, as part of their Summerfest thing, or sorry, mo- yeah, Motorrad Fest, it used to be called Summerfest. Um, they, at least for Canada, debuted the R9T, uh, Scrambler. Oh. And it actually looks really good. I was actually shocked at how good the regular one felt. And then this, I got on the, I sat on the scrambler, didn't get to ride it. And, uh, yeah, it's not bad. And then they had Matty Griffin, who's like a kind of a semi world famous stunt rider. And he had no, essentially no seat time on it. And, uh, he was, he was pulling like 60 degree wheelies, like 
at a snap of a finger, he's like, bang, pulls a wheelie. It was part of the shtick they were doing with like, oh, no, we can't let Maddie do this. And no, he's doing donuts and stuff like this. And uh, I mean, he had the big blocky off-road kind of style tires and stuff on it. But uh, it looked it looked really good, I got to say. So uh, the other one, uh, Motorcycle.com, just I think it was them, just did a review of the the new Bolt Scrambler, whatever it is, SCR 950 mm-hmm. Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they said really favorable things about it. It's even that it was not bad for, uh, fire roading and gravel roads and stuff like that. It, it it's a pig. It's about a yeah. hundred pounds too heavy. Uh, but it's a bolt with a more standard style ergonomics, which I think in itself is not a bad thing. Yeah, I think that we kind of ripped on that motorcycle when we were talking about, I think it was in our value episode, and um, mainly just because of the stats on the bolt and it just being really heavy. If I were going to choose between a bolt and the SCR 900, I would certainly choose the SCR, but um, I'm kind of surprised that it fared as well as you say it, they thought on the gravel roads and whatnot because it is so heavy well the conclusion was yeah on paper it looks bad but when you get out and ride it it's a lot of fun so yeah i would actually be more interested rather than the bolt if they used uh, a version of the of the fc9 to do something like that i think would make more sense just because you're starting with a bike that's you know 70 or 80 pounds lighter to begin with Although, well, I have heard the FC09 motor is extremely torquey, which would be good for off-road, but it does have a lot more rev range, which, I don't know, I, I think that well, the Bolt that's, motor that's is easy, probably that's, better. That's easy to fix, though. Is there yeah. an FJ07 <laughs> on the way? Has anybody heard? Not not that I know of. That would, and, make, that would make, that would kind of be what that is, maybe without a fairing. Yeah. Yeah, although the FJ is a little bit more of a tourer. Or a commuter, maybe you could call it, but yeah, it wouldn't be such a bad idea. Jim, did you cross shop the FJ09 when you were looking at your after? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I did. I went and sat on one. I sat on a new V Strom. I sat on one of those, and I was gonna ride both of them. A local dealer here, the guy said, "Yeah, I'll let you take either one of them out," and. It was getting late in the day. He said, come back, you know, sometime when it's nice and blah, blah, blah. And by the time I was going to go back, I had started reading stuff about the Africa Twin. They did the uh, the international launch in uh, Africa on it. And I was like, yeah, no, I think I'm going to wait for this. Yeah, because I'm really attracted to the FJ09, but I'm also really attracted to the Africa Twin. And I, th- I think that if I were... Actually, considering buying either one, it would be a pretty difficult decision for me to make. What's the price difference on those? Are they? Uh, they're not the too same? far off. I think. T- tell me if I'm wrong. The Africa Twin is like ten nine, ten five, or ten nine, and the uh, FJ I think is just slightly less than that. I think it's like ninety nine, ninety or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm 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 talking on my butt though. I don't know. Me too. I thought the Africa Twin was closer to like thirteen five. The... Maybe for the DCT. The standard is MSRP is twelve nine ninety nine and the DCT oh, wow. is thirteen six. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It is it a is. lot of money. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, but how much honestly, is the BMW GS? It's twenty one thousand dollars, and I know because I sat on one of the yeah. adventures up in Canada. And Fuck. yeah, I'm like, I, I got up on it and I was like, yeah, and I've got a, a front on, I know who does, is part of the demo ride, uh, lead riders up there and does some of the off-road stuff. And it's like, oh, you got to get on one of these. I'm like, yeah, who's paying for it? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the BMWs are amazing and I know that they're pretty reputable, but the Africa twin is not 70% worse than it. So, well, just to put it in perspective, my spider, 2013 spider RSS was 18.5. So that was, you know, (laughs) and there are some some places where the build quality is not at all what it would be on the Africa Twin or even like I know the other one that I've been lusting after is the BMW R1200 RS. Yeah. That is just gorgeous. And it's, I think, 18.5. Yeah. It's about the same money. The, uh, you're, well, A, you're not getting a thousand cc motorcycle for under 12 grand. I mean, pretty much modern. I should say a modern one. I say, I'm sure you can find some Harley for, you know, 10 grand or Indian Scout or whatever, but, um, modern Japanese European thousand cc for under about 12 grand. Um, and that, sorry, the, the one thing that killed me about the BMW R9T, those things start at 15 grand. And I'm just like, no. Yeah, that's, that's like that's like three to four thousand over well well overpriced. Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful oh. bike. It's well put together. I like it. It looks good. I'm told it it's it's great to ride. But the the the, the starting price is a non-starter. The the FJ09 MSRP is ten four ninety. By the way, so <clears throat> so there, is a, you're gonna... there is a difference in price. Yeah, I thought you were going to say you were lusty enough after that Spectre 750 on eBay. <laughs> you know, I do have to say, um, when they're older and used, they look uh, better in pictures than the brand new shiny ones <laughs> where, like, the the contrast of the color is, is really stark. At least in the picture, it seems m- more tuned down, a little bit more subtle. Well, there's... <laughs> There's one that's in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is 200 miles from me for what, what was it? Like $1,200 or something like that? Which actually still yeah. is. There's like 12 hours left in the auction and it's still at 1250. Yeah. So I probably that's not going to buy. Happen. Probably not going to happen, but I think it is probably for that kind of money. I think it's better than the, uh, 550 Maxim your friend bought. But not as not as nice as a 750 Zephyr that he replaced. Yeah, speak, with. speaking of, he's right oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the same guy. the The 550 ended up becoming the Zephyr. Right. Yeah. He yeah, he, yeah. he ended up flipping it and giving it to another yes. friend of yours. So yes, sucker. Did he get a Zephyr 750? <laughs> yeah, Zephyr 750. Yeah. Okay. Yep. In fact, we were just out on a ride uh, just before this call, which is why I hate my TX750 just a little bit more. And he what, likes what, his 750 Zephyr just today? a little bit more. Uh, no, you know what? I, I don't know. It. It's, <laughs> you have to remember, this is the bike he was raving about three or four weeks ago so, of being no, such a cool, awesome bike. I love the bike. I love it. looks great. It's super classic. It's a beautiful looking bike and it's pretty underrated when everything's working properly. 
And I was just at that point where I, I had everything pretty much working properly. And then I went on a ride today. And granted, it is pretty warm outside. And it started, I think it's detonating. I think that it's got some pinging because it's just happening under load. Um, you know, you hear that kind of metallic pinging sound. And it could just be because it's really hot outside. And I don't know if it was just getting too warm and, and causing a little bit of detonation in the motor. But I'm going to check the timing again and see what's going on. Because it progressively got worse. It was okay at the beginning of our ride. Not so okay at the end of it. So I don't know. I'm just ready to go buy a you, you get West, You're the West Coast, so you get the crap gasoline out there, like 91 octane gas, right? Uh, No, no, we have good oh. gas here. Oh, We're not okay. California. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I vented. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about ready to just go buy a Zephyr 750. Did we? I, th- I think we may have talked about that on the episode that hasn't gone live yet because we had. We're we're actually a week oh, okay. off. Next week's yeah. episode is still in the can because we split the the color graphics. That's episode right. into yep. two so so we're this will be a couple weeks from now before this goes live yeah well rusty thank you for joining us yeah good to uh, talk to you yeah, yeah thanks oh, for having me always good to yeah. get together with you you're kind of the one guy i know who actually is busy out doing what the rest of us are talking about so yeah. <laughs> well okay i'll ride for you guys Thank you. At least you have a motorcycle that runs right every time you start it. So I'll live vicariously yes. through you. Yes. <laughs> Send me pictures of you riding so I can feel like I'm having fun too. Okay. <laughs> and uh, please go to Hooniverse where you can see. I don't have 60 some bikes talked about this week. It's not going to take me five hours to put together all the pictures this Praise week. I, I like that. So, yes, go to. Uh, Hooniverse and check out our posts and you can ask questions and comments there. Thank you to everyone who has. Rate and review us on uh, iTunes. You can... Do we have anything on our Instagram? Eric or Garrett? Have you, uh, have we don't you, have an Instagram. but Or I mean your our Twitter. Uh, you, Twitter? No. You know... Um, you keep saying I you need have, to do something. And we well, yeah, and I also just finished my chemistry final today and oh, my psychology final last night. So now I have a month off and can dedicate some more time to working more on the TX750 that I continue to work on. And then also posting some uh, cool things on our Twitter page. So uh, yeah, check that out. Twitter at the false neutral and also Facebook at the false neutral. And uh, Wednesdays, the Hooniverse podcast Fridays, Camden tubbed. Uh, I think it's Mondays are now Uh, Brad's DFL Motorsports Podcast, and we are on Tuesday. So we will see you next week, and thank you for joining us. So long, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.